be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by Whole Foods Tattoos. If you're an environmentally conscious vegan hipster shopper, We know you've been looking for a sustainable resource for your tattoo needs. At Whole Foods Tattoos, all of our ink is voluntarily donated by age-appropriate artisan squid and compensated at fair trade rates. None of our pigments involve chemicals. All of our red inks come from 100% all-natural conchinal extract. Yes, those bright red parasitic insects found in South America used in dyes. Don't let put something dangerous like chemicals under your skin, treat your body to what it really needs. All natural crimson parasite body parts. Whole food tattoos. When you're ready to turn away from artificial factory-produced antiseptic. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White, and welcome to the late February edition of the Jim and Mickey Show. Mickey, how are you this morning? I, I'm doing well. As you know, I'm fighting off the crud that seems to be going around. Um, so if, my, if our listeners are... Uh, paying attention i'm sure some of them can sympathize with me because it apparently is something that is affecting the entire like east coast right now um but other than that i'm doing great it's been a pretty interesting week in pop culture now i you gave me an assignment this week to pay to watch the grammys yes and out of out of the the uh volcanic overflowing level of respect i have for my co-host i did watch a chunk not and all. When you say a chunk, does that mean like a three-minute clip on the internet? No, I probably watched for about 45 minutes or so. No. Yeah. yeah you know. So what did you see at the Grammys? All right. So, so my, the opening question for both you and the audience. Okay. I presume you have heard about Hamilton on Broadway, correct? Of course. Who hasn't at this point? Okay. What have you been – how would you describe the descriptions you're getting of Hamilton? Um, I have had people tell me that if – History was taught like this, that they would have actually paid attention. Okay. I have heard people say that it's a, you know, revolutionary, that it's the best thing on Broadway in 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say. More. Um, it, that it, you know, people who live in New York and had the opportunity to see it before it, like, kind of broke big, saw it multiple times. And they have the Broadway, you know, it, it's, it's the Broadway show that people are actually going and downloading the songs. Uh, you and I are hearing the same thing. If I had to characterize the reviews, the term messianic orgiastic frenzy comes to mind. That's close. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty close. Because like Hamilton, Hamilton. Ah! I, you know, this, this is making uh, girls at Elvis concerts look even-tempered and calm and, uh, and muted in their level of enthusiasm. The critics love it. It's a huge sellout. Apparently tickets are like a bazillion dollars each. Well, not um, only a bazillion dollars, but I have friends who bought tickets to see Hamilton in December of last year. So December two, 2015. And their tickets are for September mm. of this year. So that so, was before they did the performance at the Grammys. It's my understanding now that wait is up to like 2020. 
And for those you know who, who have not heard anything, basically this is a it's, it's probably safe to describe as a hip hop musical about the life of Alexander Hamilton. Does that sound like a? I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> they 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 describe it as an American story, a New York story, um, and then obviously the story of Alexander Hamilton. So that's you know it's kind of told through the perspective of someone who would be looking back on it right now. Hamilton's life does have settling grievances through gunplay in it, so who knows? Maybe it's oh, yeah. culturally proper. Well, and that's, um, that is the thing, is like the, the people that have seen it love it for a number of reasons. But I wonder how many people that watched it um, at the Grammys had that same response. Uh, you've you've put your finger precisely on my question, Mickey, because you know having heard people just screaming their heads off about how this is the most amazing and no pun intended revolutionary uh, performance on Broadway in in decades, I watched it and it seemed pretty good. Now at this moment, I can see an angry crowd forming outside my house because I have reacted to Hamilton with less than overwhelming enthusiasm. Heretic. And I, so my question to you, Mickey, heretic. Is, Is this because television doesn't capture uh, how amazing it is in person or is it that this is kind of overhyped? Am I, you know, I don't want to be gloomy Gus. I don't want to be. You are though. So here's the important. Here's what I've gotten out of it, because I will be honest with you. Mr. Bias looked at me and was like, okay. Because I'm all like, oh, Hamilton's coming. I want to see what's coming with Hamilton. And we're watching it. And he looks at me and he's like, really? (laughs) And I was like, well, one of the things I realized in watching Hamilton on that stage in that like clip that they showed, that's not the best way to showcase it. Um, And I say that because when you you were in theater and when you go to see a play or a musical, it takes kind of a minute to get that vibe the flow, the rhythm and the flow of the talking and the music and who sounds like what and whatever. And while that open may work really well in a theater where you're going to see the rest of the story, Mm. I feel like it left a lot of people like, what the hell did I just see? Yeah. And yet, like, and again, you know, it depends on personal taste and things like that. But no, Mr. Bias was right there on the couch with you with like, I, I don't get this. And I, I managed to talk him into, like, the idea of how he might be able to get it because I want to go see it. Um, and I was like, you know, here's the thing. We have a musical that normally allows itself to set up on a live stage with the reaction of the audience, which is, you know, part of it. But there's also a certain, like, auditory thing about mm. getting used to the way people talk or sound. Very similar to, like, listening to, like, English TV. Yeah. No, I was going to say, look, some of this reflects – the difference between watching a sports event live versus watching on TV, uh, uh, seeing a candidate live as opposed to watching debates or a convention, you know, there's always something different about the experience when you're there. And so I'm kind of like trying to grade it on that curve. And I don't want to say, oh, it was terrible. I, I just, I guess I was, thought it was just pretty good. You know, singers are pretty good. Like, well, I think was- one of the big things that you have to remember, and this is another thing that I had a conversation with Mr. Bias about. Um, was that it was also an original musical and completely written, you know, from score to finish, et cetera, acted completely original, which, you know, if you've been to Broadway, you know that that's pretty rare. Usually it's a revival of or a show that's been going for 20 years. 
And in this particular case, this is 100% originally written. And so I suspect that's garnishing quite a bit of... I mean, the whole idea of telling the history of Alexander Hamilton in a more New York-y, hip-hop-y, entertaining way. Yeah. In other words, is some of this the love of the concept mm-hmm. that people like the idea oh, of absolutely. young people developing an enthusiastic passion and interest in America's founding and in America's founding fathers in a way that cr- cuts across racial lines, cuts across class lines and cultural lines, um, I mean, I love the cons. I, I like that too. Peggy Noonan was one of the first people who was just gushing about it immediately. Uh-huh. I just, having heard for months and months, people talk about this. Is that this? This was the alpha and the omega of it's of the American theater. Effect. Yeah, it's the Pulp Fiction effect. Yeah, it was so built up that it couldn't happen to fa- do anything but fail. But I mean, I need to tell you that the majority of people who saw it went and ordered tickets immediately. Huh. All right. Um, and so I think that part of it is the idea of the number one or one of, I shouldn't say the number one thing, but one of the most things Googled during the Grammys was who was Alexander Hamilton. Mm. Now, the fact that they did not know this leads me to believe that maybe we need more plays like this. Fair, very fair point. Now, question, when they're Googling that, are they saying who's playing him or who's this <laughs> no, guy who's on no. the... Who is this guy? Okay. Isn't he on the ten dollar bill? <laughs> Isn't he the drummer for like the Ohio Players or something? There you well, go. Look, here's the deal. I mean, and, and and it's so sad, but true. But like, look, obviously our history teachers have failed us epically. So maybe you know if they're going to do rap and hip hop on Broadway, that's at least historically close to accurate. You know, and people are paying attention. If this is what it's going to take to educate people, I'm like so in. I, I was gonna say I, I'll, I will applaud uh, Hamilton. I, I guess I've just not see. It's when you feel like everybody's raving about a particular food and it just tastes okay to you, and you're <laughs> yeah, like, like I said, it's the Pulp Fiction effect. Yeah. Is, and, is my taster off, or is there something? Is everybody well, and else another? Just kind of, and another. I will be completely honest. Another controversial performance in our house was Kendrick Lamar. Okay, so to show off how cool I am, uh-huh. Kendrick Lamar is the gentleman who shares the video of Bad Blood with Taylor Swift. Okay, yes, right? that is one of the things that he does, yes. That's how I know him. There you okay. go. Okay, well, that's I have fine. Identified, I've picked him out of a lineup. Well, and it's interesting because you also lead right into Taylor Swift with this, but Kendrick Lamar gave a live performance of a rap song, and it was actually a medley, but the thing about it is I know that it's not the type of music that a lot of our listeners probably listen to, but it is music, it is representative, and I have never, and you know I've been in the music industry for almost 20 years now, I've never seen anyone spit lyrics like that live in my life. That was super impressive. And, um, and then, of course, you know, you talk about spitting lyrics and you get to Taylor Swift, who at the very end decided to do the middle finger to Kanye and apparently anyone who disagrees with her. Yeah. That's kind of how I took it. We should, we should give the, the backstory. So Kanye had recently said something like, I made Taylor Swift famous or something like that. He wrote a song called Famous, and there were lines okay. about her in it. So, yeah. Okay. And, and his contention is that nobody had really ever heard of Taylor Swift until he came up on stage at, was it the MTV Music Awards or somebody who said, yes. I'm going to let you finish, but Beyonce had one of the greatest videos of all time. <laughs> Correct. And everyone thought, you know, including like President Obama, you know, came out. There was a presidential decree that Kanye was a jackass. Yes, it was, that's you know, correct. I believe that resolution passed the House with 435 votes in the House, <laughs> the Senate, 
Um, Kanye West, you know, he's a uniter, not a divider. Uh, everybody <laughs> thinks he's a jackass, including Kim Kardashian. Um, but so he, so this was, you know, seen, I guess, as as Taylor's revenge. Um, am I sensing that you kind of felt like Taylor may have taken a little little far on that one? Uh, no, but I think that there was a little bit of the Taylor Swift that, you know, we caught glimpses of here and there. Um, not to say that she didn't have the right to go after Kanye at all, because she totally did. It was just kind of, and like, you know, everyone's like, oh, girl power. And I was kind of like, you're kind of a bitch. (laughs) Um, so just to clarify in the first, like, you know, let's say 12 minutes of this show, We've said Hamilton is pretty good, but not as great as everybody's saying, and Taylor Swift is a bitch. Welcome to the last edition of the Jimmy Kimmel Show. <laughs> Let me throw this one in just for just for fun. Let me throw this one in. Um, Lady Gaga performed, and you know everyone loved her performance at the Super Bowl, and in this case, she did a tribute to David Bowie, mm-hmm. and initial reviews were just glowing, and I wondered. And I will say this, I wondered to myself and aloud, how do, like, real Bowie fans feel about this? They don't feel good. Mm. They don't feel good. And, in fact, his son went out and actually called Lady Gaga out on Twitter. What was the complaint? What did she, did she just put She did the a tribute or? to David okay. Bowie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, again, I honestly believe, I don't think anyone else could have done it solo. Um, because she really did sing like nine songs in six minutes or something. However, and she, she captured the idea and the performance of Bowie without a doubt, but it was a little odd. And apparently his son didn't like it at all. I knew David Bowie. I was the son of David Bowie. (laughs) And you, my lady are no David Bowie. Well, and it makes me wonder (laughs) if it's part, you know, like he's still grieving or if it was part like, Oh Jesus, this is terrible. But a lot of people a lot of people thought that it encapsulated the ideas and the essence of Bowie with, you know, pushing the limits and the the androgynous and whatever and everyone was like, you know, oh Bowie will be loving this. I'm like, I'm not so sure the uh the pure hearts will be loving this as much. I I'm gonna take a moment to to defend Lady Gaga here and just say, look, the complaint, oh, the tribute to that man was not equal to the man himself. Well, no, duh. (laughs) How often Exactly, yes. But no, I thought they actually did a really nice job with setting it up, and I can't really think of another person who could have pulled it off as well. So while the, you know, the David Bowie purist may not like it, I I think it was probably one of the best um, tributes that I've seen there. And then, of course, they did the, 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 (laughs) the tribute to Lemmy, from Motorhead uh, with the with the Hollywood vampires, which was a whole nother like complete cross pollination of people who are like, this is music. No, this sucks. And it's the exact opposite of the people who were saying that whenever Lamar or Kendrick Lamar was performing. So I, I'd like to see the Venn diagram of that one. But, um, I, you know, it, it was a great night for music. It was a great night for entertainment. And, of course, LL Cool J hosted, so you know I'm always watching that. And uh, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about Deadpool and the new move for everyone to R-rated films. <laughs> Um, 
Mamma Mia. That's a spicy meatball. Cut. What in the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we have all here at TJM's been anticipating the release of the new Ryan Reynolds film, Deadpool. And our very own Jim Garrity went and saw it over the weekend. Now, this is an interesting trend, Jim, because Deadpool was rated R. So could you take your boys? Oh, heck no. Hell no. <laughs> F word no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I, I'd, I'd feel unnerved about taking them there until uh, maybe 17, 18. And then, even then... Morena Bakarin pegging Ryan Reynolds probably makes this um, uh, not acceptable for it, it earns that R rating. And I haven't even gotten into the discombobulating uh, disembodiment, uh, beheadings, <laughs> bullet holes in people, looking so do you through think bullet it was holes for in the people. language or for the violence? Um, just overall, all three. It, it earns them. It, it's looking for the Are only. Are there boobies th- in Deadpool? I'm sorry. Are there? Boobies? Oh yes. Oh yes. There's. There's. You should movies. let our listeners know that. Like they want to know these kind of things. Yeah. Like yes, you will see boobies. Uh, and I would point out that uh, Marina Bakarin, one of my favorite actresses, going back to Firefly, uh, looks really terrific in this movie. She is not topless, but it's pretty darn close. Um, look, if you for adults. So now is, I need to ask, how many times have you seen Deadpool since you saw it the first time? Just the one. <laughs> And if I got the DVD, I'd have to make sure it's not in a you know little kid inaccessible uh, place. Um, so here's here's my take on it. Like safely talked in your computer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so everyone's got some cuisine that they really enjoy as a change of pace. Could be Indian food, could be Korean barbecue, could be Ethiopian. Something that is a little spicy. Something that is probably not for everyone. That's kind of an acquired taste. Uh, and something that if you ate it every night, you'd probably be very sick of it very quickly. That is Deadpool. It is a really enjoyable change of pace as a superhero movie. It is, you know, extremely off-color, extremely violent, sometimes very funny, um, kind of making fun of all the tropes of a superhero movie. Um, is Ryan Reynolds naked? He is, oh, a lot of butt shots in this one. Sweet. Plenty of Ryan Reynolds' butt. <laughs> See, you're I'm already thinking. selling me on Deadpool. But, I mean, I haven't even seen the movie, and suddenly it's already my favorite superhero movie. It also is very well-versed in comic book and comic book movie, uh, like I said, tropes and mythology. At one point, Deadpool was captured by one of the X-Men, uh, Colossus, and he uh-huh. says, we are, we are, he's Russian, so he says, we are taking you to see the professor. And Deadpool responds, Stuart or McElroy? <laughs> meaning the two yeah, actors. The he said, which timeline are we in? I can't keep them straight, right? <laughs> so it's not only assuming you've seen the X-Men movies, and, and it's kind of loosely connected to it. You see references to the X-Men throughout. None of the other major X-Men appear in it, and at one point he turns to the camera and says, you can tell the studio couldn't afford to have any of the big stars in this one. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek kind of... Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like one step away from a naked gun or airplane-style movie. Very uh, nice. So it's completely... funny is what you're telling me, and it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it, it's completely Do we have to learn life serious. lessons, or is it just good? Oh, no, no, no. There's like a, a big point of almost the point of the Deadpool character is that he never learns life lessons. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> he might be my new favorite of... superhero. Yes. 
any type of hero's journey or or transition to the character would be, you know, a rebuke to the to the core the concept of the character. Having said that, here's why I'm a little unnerved by it. Okay. Uh, they, as you as you have pointed out, Mickey, right after this movie, it, it had a huge opening weekend. It looks like it's a huge success. They've already authorized a approved a Deadpool sequel. There's talk of making an X Force and having Deadpool appear in that, and they've announced. Uh, Wolverine will get a third movie and it's going to be R-rated. Now, remember what I said about certain cuisines? You want to have them once in a while? Yes. As a change of pace. If every super, like, like the next superhero movie that seems too much like Deadpool, other than maybe the Deadpool sequel, I think is going to flop. Well, but they can't make, I mean, if it's true to the comics, right? <laughs> the idea of adding him in would be to lighten up those X people. Um, and maybe get them to use their powers correctly, in my opinion. But whatever. But I mean, like he still couldn't be outside of his own movie. He still uh, couldn't. Don't don't underestimate studio head saying, "No, this was a huge success. Shoehorn him in there." Uh, and, see, uh, and you so you think like suddenly we're going to see boobies and X Men, and we're going to see the professors like cussing at each other. It, it is conceivable, um, and I guess what I'm saying is that what makes like I think people okay. What what made the audiences flock to this besides the fan base of the comic book character is not that they were yearning for a profane comic book movie or a really violent comic book movie or the, but because it fit this character and it was new and different. And if everybody starts to be the same, it will lose its appeal. Okay, fair enough. But do you think that that was the whole point? Like because each of these characters has been allowed to develop themselves and. I'm not as surprised that Wolverine is R-rated, considering it's probably, like, the Wolverine was one of the more violent mm-hmm. of the X-Men. Um, and more, the Wolverine storyline is always a little more gritty yeah. than the other X-people. Like, they don't really use their powers to kill people. And when you do, it's like, and they're gone. It's not yes. as realistic. You don't see intestines, yes. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I'm thinking that maybe Deadpool and Wolverine benefit from this because of the characters. But, I mean, certainly it wouldn't make sense to see, you know, the new Star Wars movie come out with an R rating. Yeah. I, I, my, if you look, if you're real, you know, this is where, I, can I go full comic book geek on you, Mickey? Do you, maybe you that's why we have you here. All right. So um up until about 1986 frank miller comes out with the dark knight returns a story about batman that is that is universally revered as being uh grim and gritty and more mature and all that stuff in the same year watchman comes out and all of a sudden 1986 it's okay to make much more adult stories about superheroes okay thereafter all of a sudden everything starts becoming more grim and gritty and then the you know 1989 the batman movie comes out directed by tim burton and then everybody wants to be this, you know, dark, avenging, menacing, you know, creature of the night who breaks the backs of bad guys and stuff. Then along comes, this is where I get my real comic a creator called Rob Liefeld. Might be Liefeld, but I think it's Liefeld. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever seen a comic book drawing and said that is unbelievably anatomically impossible, legs don't look like that. There are more muscle, those are more muscles than exist on a human body. Pop quiz, Mickey. How many teeth are in a human mouth? 32. Okay, that's human anatomy. To a Rob Liefeld drawing, there are at least 40. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Also, Rob Liefeld's art style are known for drawing an enormous amount of effort on an unbelievably wildly 
uh, beyond the most extreme bodybuilder, you know, upper torso physique, and then getting really tired when he draws feet. So they just end up as little stubs at the bottom of the drawing. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, th- is it possible, though, that the reason that time period works, the you know late 80s moving forward, is because that's when you and your generation of boys who grew up on comic books were at the age where you needed something a little less PG. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that is, you know, if, if anything, this is the, you know, Deadpool might be the most adolescent character for the most adolescent audience of all time. People are saying, wait a minute, Jim's 40 and he enjoyed this movie. Um, the the idea, math, though, I think, right. yeah. But ultimately, like, so Liefeld created Deadpool, at least in his first appearance, as a fairly straightforward, tough, grim and gritty character. And then after a while, as subsequent creators worked on it, they realized, actually, this is, this is so over the top. This is such an exaggeration of the existing um, tropes and cliches in comic books. Let's just... And that, by the way, is actually, it's actually meant to be a silly, ridiculous exaggeration of what was the dominant type of character you saw in that. The, de- there was a time where I believe, at one point when I was collecting comics in the early 90s, Punisher or Ghost Rider were in half of all, were making at least a guest appearance in half of all uh, comic books that Marvel Comics was published. And our Punisher and Ghost Rider, they're similar to this Deadpool character. Oh, I, And I say this. They're really tough. Yeah, well, I say this only because you know, audience, you all know I have a stepson. And there was a period in time when Ghost Rider came out mm-hmm. and a couple other ones, and we had to see them. And <laughs> I found... Flaming skull, Mickey. Yeah, I know. And he's all like, <laughs> that's like great. Let's, you know, and you know how kids are once they get into a movie, too. Like, yeah. it's not once. You gotta watch that shit, like, 800 times. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> Once and once it came out on DVD, it was all over. I was like, "Here!" I mean, it was literally how my stepson ended up getting like his own DVD and TV in his room. So you wouldn't have to watch it, uh huh? So I didn't have to watch that crap because I was like, "Nope, nope, doop, doop, doop." You know what you need? You need a TV in your room, and you also need a DVR. You know, so there you go. And you need some books, preferably say, some classics. Like, I, Look, I tried the books thing with this one. He was not particularly interested. Uh, there's always been kind of this creative tension in the comic book community of whether, look, are they supposed to be um, enjoyable for everyone or are they, or can you make them adult grim and gritty stories? And, you know, at what point uh, is, is one better than the other? Is one kind of supplanting the other or things like that? And, and uh, you know, this is fine. My fear would be, uh, Hollywood studio executives looking at this and deciding, aha, this succeeded. Everything has to be like this. And then, you know, for example, people, people have lamented both that Superman movie and the upcoming Superman and Batman movie. It looks like they spent a bazillion dollars and none of it on lighting. Well, <laughs> uh, that's fair. Um, I would just suggest that I have absolutely no desire to see that movie. Oh, really? None. Is it because of Ben Affleck? I'm Ben Man? Uh, you, you can't- <laughs> okay, don't even get me started on that. But... I don't really care for Superman. I don't like Superman movies. I don't Not even grim and gritty Superman. No, I, I haven't watched. I haven't watched an entire Superman movie the whole way through ever. And even six-year-olds know Superman will always kick Batman's ass. Well, yeah. So what's the point because, of those two fighting? Yeah, but what, and it's just stupid. I don't like it. <laughs> it, it's a well, no, it's a much more fair fight once Batman gets Lex Luthor's kryptonite ring. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's well, a fair fight the other way. 
Well, and, uh, I, and again, you know, the casting's a little odd. Um, I know they're trying to build this whole Avenger side on the other side. Mm-hmm. This DC doesn't work for me. Eager to emulate the Avengers, and yeah. I think that's that, that's what kind of has me most curious about this movie. Well, uh, you be curious, and you'll go watch it, and then you can right. tell us all about it. Um, and then I won't have to see it. Did Stan Lee do a cameo in Deadpool? Yes, he did. <laughs> he, he's always in that's his own movie. Club patron, no less. So. <laughs> oh, by the way, spoiler alert! But then again, if you want to see this movie, you've seen this movie. By now. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go see it this week. Either way, um, it sounds like Deadpool was. Um, all that it was hyped up to be and more. Indeed. Now, uh, you may complain that superhero outfits are unrealistic. It's uh, silly. It's who on earth would run around uh, dressed you know, in, in outfits like that? The simple answer is Sports Illustrated swimsuit models. And we'll be discussing that right after this. And please don't make the super suit green or animated. You from Paytel Records. 22 explosive hits. 22 original stars. Gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Oh, the candy man can. Liver snaps traits are made with real liver. And dogs love them. Coming in three, two, one, zero. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. It is late February, and this is traditionally the slowest time of year for sports. The Super Bowl is over. March Madness is a few weeks away. Spring training for baseball hasn't started yet. So a couple of decades ago, Sports Illustrated decided to fill this gap with the tradition of a swimsuit issue. Mickey, I understand that the the new issue is coming out uh, just a few days away. They've already previewed it. What what's new and different about this umpteenth edition of very pretty women in swimsuits? Well, in addition to it being something that is part of my own personal history, as I believe my father got the Farrah picture and poster that he hung on his wall from Sports Illustrated. Um, it's really interesting this year because one of the big things that always comes out is everyone goes, all the models go, they get their pictures done. And then there's a big reveal as to who gets the cover. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, getting the cover of Sports Illustrated is a big deal. Some of the other people that have graced the cover of Sports Illustrated over the years are Christy Brinkley, um, Cindy Crawford. You've had, uh, and and even in the athletic world, you've had people um, show up on the covers. And we even had Beyonce a few years ago on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And that was a big deal. This year... They said, um, the editors determined that, you know, they got it down to their final three that they were looking at and realized that all three of them looked like covers and decided to release for the first time ever three different covers for the Sports Illustrated and issue. And the first cover is kind of the traditional, you know, model breaks out naked on the sand and her name is Haley Clausen. And she's, you know, blonde and beautiful and everything that you expect in a Sports Illustrated model. And then the next person that they asked to do it or that they selected was Ronda Rousey. Now, our listeners may know her from she does, you know, the actual fighting and she's actually getting ready to come up and do a fight again. But she's actually on the cover in not a real swimsuit. But one that's painted on. Painted on. Mm, Looks so good. I've seen previews of the Rousey pictorial. Yes, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's quite good. And then the final kind of really explosive and exciting thing was that they asked Ashley Graham to do the other. And she 
is someone who is considered a plus size model. She is a, according to her, a true 14, 16. And she was just thrilled to be asked to be in the swimsuit issue. And once they actually put her on the cover, you can tell if you've seen any interviews. And I do encourage people to go out and see the interviews with these girls because very different types of personalities go along with these different body types, clearly. And um, she's just so excited that you get excited for her. Good. Well, I'm happy for her. Um, I, I also do think, actually, the, the Rondi, Ronda Rousey selection um, does strike me as groundbreaking, does strike me as very much a, a kind of, you know, a, a head-turning different direction, if for no other reason that it will lead to just the ge- entire general public looking at Rousey and complimenting her for appearing to be very attractive in an exceptionally polite manner. If you hit on no that girl, say, ah, you know, there, there's not going to be any drooling. She's a very attractive woman, and, you, and we you, really compliment her on her ability to keep herself in shape, be a role model for all women. Right. You well, hit on that girl, she hits on you. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, obviously, Rhonda has kind of had herself in the news lately anyway. Um, you know, dealing with the upcoming fight and her past fight, et cetera. But I think it's really interesting because when you look at this, and of course they're making a big point about it, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything they're not saying in the sense of suggesting that, you know, it's break, groundbreaking not just to have three, but to have three different types of models and body types. You know, we've got someone who is considered the traditional, someone who is considered the athletic body type, and then someone who is considered plus size. And... And, and I think that's great. Like, yay, this isn't about women. This is the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. This is not now not to say that women don't buy it because they do. Um, up to like 60% of the people that actually purchase and look at the edition are actually women. So just keep that in mind. But in reality, I mean, this wasn't started for women. This was started for men. Now women look at it and get ideas, if we're being completely honest. And I just hope and pray that someday my body is in the shape where I can get a spray-painted on bikini and look good. Actually, I think that's a very astute observation there, Mickey, that uh, there probably was a time decades year, you know, decades back where uh, to see a very attractive supermodel wearing a skimpy bikini on a magazine was a very big deal. In an era of Maxim, in an era of internet porn, in an era of – but you can find just about any image you want with, the, you know, with one Google search. And the images you'll find on the cover of Sports Illustrated cover aren't, probably aren't that different than you find in your, your average travel ad for the Caribbean. Right. Right. I mean like, you know, oh. Yeah, like it's not, it's not racy. Okay, you know. It's definitely not racy anymore. Now they have to find new ways to be interesting. Come to this beach oh. and you'll see this. Yes. <laughs> So and I like way, the idea right. of the different body types. I just don't understand why. I guess it's maybe the one way to keep it moving forward. Yeah, or, or the idea that it is less – I guess here's the thing. I'm picturing this being, whether it's the 50s or the 60s or even into the 70s, this hit the newsstand. And I remember that at least in our house growing up in the 80s, like this, there was a little bit of controversy about whether we were allowed to look at it as, you know, uh, prepubescent. Of course there was pubes- you know. Of course um, there was. <laughs> but, but in today's world, like, the, it's, as you said, it's not any racier than what you're going to see on television. It's not any racier than what you're going to see – uh, almost anywhere else, that it's no longer um, – if, if Sports Illustrated is only selling this with sex appeal, then it's not going to work because they've – there, there's – you know people are – sex appeal is used to sell things all the time, right? 
Right. I would just like to put input here as we were talking about the childhood experiences with Sports Illustrated that like we had in my house, um, there were several different magazines that we had, you know, full time subscriptions to back in the day before the Internet. And Sports Illustrated was one of them. And my dad had it from, I don't even, I mean, honestly, like he had magazines coming in from the time I was little. I don't even know how long he'd had them before, but it was just part of your subscription back then. Good point. And I, wasn't there some, at some point you could, you could request to have it not subscribed or something? Because there were, there were people I don't who know. thought it was uh, too racy. And I believe at one point, like to give it a perspective on how our culture hasn't changed whole, you know, so wholeheartedly. A uh, couple, you know, people this, who listen to this podcast probably know I write the Morning Jolt newsletter for National Review, and I made a joke about so Congressman Fred Upton of Michigan, uh-huh. his niece is Kate Upton, oh, um, lucky him, the, the supermodel who's known for just being, you know, just yeah. unbelievably gorgeous. And, and the boys at Free Beacon, thank you. Yes, they built an entire. She, she's basically started a small religion over there. Yeah, <laughs> um, or maybe I should say a not so small religion. Exactly, so, optimism. Yeah. So I used a cover image of at one point one of the alternatives to Obamacare was being pitched as the Upton plan. Uh-huh. So I did this cute little jokey post about the Kate Upton plan, um, and and you could imagine you know not too off color, but I used a picture of her on the cover of the Sports Illustrated issue, and you may remember it was the one where she was like at the Arctic or something, right? Yeah. So she's in a swimsuit, but she's got this white jacket over her. And it wasn't, you know, uh-huh. uh, by far not the most um, uh, over. Not even sexual. close to the most racist yeah, exactly, she's you done. Know. Um, and there, there were a couple of readers who said, Jim, I, this is beneath you. I don't expect to see this in my morning newsletter. So this is a controversial image in some circles. And, you know, I felt bad for the people who were offended by it or something. It, you know, mostly the joke was, hey, here's one celebrity named Upton. Here's another one. Ha ha. You know? well, right. But is it possible that those complaints that you got were from people who didn't know who Kate Upton was and didn't get the joke? I'm I mean, sure. yeah, not, not, no offense to all of yeah. your lovely readers. Yeah. No, I think it was just a matter of there are still some circles in which the cover of Sports Illustrated is considered a swimsuit issue is considered uh, too sexual and too overt and too uh, suggestive and it's vulgar and such. And, and so I think it's um, Sports Illustrated has had to walk this tough line in that they're trying to get people to pay attention to it. And not just say, nah, there they are again. You know, like, well, I think, like, and they've done a good job because they're still keeping people interested in it. They, you know, they've also introduced kind of like the Victoria's Secret models. They've introduced a Sports Illustrated show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big part of it, obviously, in promotion. And look, again, I don't feel like this is for women because if it were, there would be dudes in it. And there aren't. So I'm going to go with this is still for dudes. Whether they say that women buy it or not, whatever. Nine times out of ten, they're probably buying it for their dude. Um, I personally, as a swimmer growing up, uh, I have no modesty whatsoever. (laughs) And unfortunately, as I've gotten older, you know, the body hasn't kept up with the swimming originally. So you have to cut back. And so, like, for me, like I said, I look at these and they were never, to me racy now they were pretty they were sexy but they were always in swimsuits and so as as a swimmer it never occurred to me that it was kind of like softcore playboy Mm. um i'm starting as you're describing that mickey i'm suddenly realizing has the espn body issue which traditionally features um very revealing photos of professional athletes and is meant to celebrate their 
uh, prowess and physique and their love that know, issue by the way like like in a way is maybe that become the more buzzworthy selection that it's not just oh look at these pretty people it's oh by the way some of your favorite athletes are in fact very pretty people yeah but what's the difference between appearing tastefully nude and appearing wearing half of a bikini that's small enough to wad up and put in a shot glass I don't think there's any difference at all <laughs> no, I, I mean, again, you can get into the argument of like artistic versus, you know, salacious. But I will tell you, there, you know, I enjoy the body issue. And, 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 and part of it is because of the way that the photos are taken. Um, and part of it is because it's both dudes and women. So there's, you know, there's something to that. I, I think that I like the body issue because it focuses on the different builds of athletes. Because you always kind of have in your head, like, oh, a, an athlete looks a certain way, right? And then you get someone in there who's a baseball player with a big pot belly kind of thing. Green Bay and Packers nose tackle. <laughs> yeah, you know, and obviously it's a great opportunity to kind of see the, the human physique and, and how it develops. But the, the swimsuit issue to me has, has done a great job of staying, you know, functional and active in a day where Playboy – is now becoming Maxim by taking away all of the nudes. Um, I think that it speaks volumes about both, you know, the way that Sports Illustrated has been able to move this forward, the buzz that they're still able to create, and the fact that, you know, maybe maybe the three covers is, you know, a gimmick, maybe whatever. But people have the option in a world where nobody buys magazines anymore. To go out and select which cover girl kind of represents their woman. Or at least which cover they feel like looking at as it sits on their, their coffee table. Right. Exactly. Because the pictures are all inside. So, you know, but whatever. I think that that's a really interesting. It allows the consumer to choose. And what I'm going to be really interested in is the sales numbers. Which cover sells the most? Um, just out of just absolute morbid curiosity of years of being in marketing and advertising i want to know which cover sells the most i'll buy three just to mess up your calculation thanks <laughs> thanks so much um and some people are already doing that apparently uh, just because of it being you know the collectors out there and whatnot um but one of the things as i said that i loved about it was that Rhonda was able to be and there are other models in there as well that have the body paint sprayed on as their swimsuit it's not exactly a tattoo because it washes off, but can you imagine the time that you'd have to sit there? Well, if you shop at Whole Foods, maybe you could just get it done while you're doing your grocery shopping. We're going to talk about that next. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity, and you're listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. You'll be amazed at who you'll find on Living in the 90s. Okay, we got Living in the 90s, two and a half hours of the coolest songs on two CDs and two cassettes. Check it out. Hi, and welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity. And we're just getting into something that came up this week. And, uh, of course, it's happening where? Whole Foods. Home of the hipsters. Home of the people who can only have GMO and everything else free food. Now, they are considering opening up tattoo parlors inside of Whole Foods. Jim, I, I, I got to tell you, like, my first response to reading this story was, of course they are. 
I'm going to give a molecular level defense of Whole Foods and say that, look, it's trying to set up a, a, a chain of stores called 365, which is going to be aimed at the younger millennial audience. It's going to allegedly be cheaper, which means you, know, you probably won't have to take out a mortgage for your kale. Um, <laughs> and so the idea, you know, inside these stores, you may see other businesses such as body care product sellers, record shops. Hey, I'm just going to pick up some records while I go to get my groceries. And obviously the big one that generated the headlines, tattoo parlors. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the head of the, uh, the co-chief executive officer, Walter Robb, says – these locations will reach more communities than we would be able to with our mothership. Boy, when you hear a grocery like chain describing itself as an alien empire. <laughs> and a mothership. I was just thinking that. Like, oh, my good God. That is so on point considering the fact that I believe that people who shop at Whole Foods only are, in fact, aliens. That's why they wear those hats. Uh-huh. And the goofy glasses, too. <laughs> Okay, now here's the thing. If you could have, let, let's say you had unlimited food, uh, unlimited food, I'm sorry, unlimited money, would you shop at Whole Foods? Because it always seems like the produce no. and stuff always looks really good. When I, no, you know, those- I still wouldn't shop there because the other people who shop there. <laughs> Which I one just, of us is the I mean, like, and, and understand, understand that we've had a Whole Foods here forever, and I have friends who will only shop at Whole Foods. And that may be part of my, I won't walk in those doors. Mm. Um, part of it because I, I know who shops at Whole Foods. I want to. I don't want any part of that. Um, what I thought was fascinating is that what Whole Foods is really incorporating is the Walmart model. Mm, the idea that everything under one roof. Because no, not only do you have the Walmart, but where everything's under one roof, but there's usually a place to grab lunch. Um, you know, a Subway, something there. There's sometimes a hair salon, a bank. Mm. Uh, an eye doctor that's separate. And again, these are rented spaces, you know, a, all nail salons, hair salons, et cetera, rented spaces in these Walmarts. And isn't it ironic that Whole Foods is suddenly looking at it and thinking that this might be a w- good way to either generate revenue or maintain new clients? Mickey, it's not ironic. It's hipster ironic. <laughs> it's hipronic. It's, uh, you know, it, I guess the idea is, what you're saying there is, is your lament of, of the clientele base of Whole Foods has become so defining to its brand. The kind of people who would not buy quinoa unless it was fully committed to campaign finance reform. Uh-huh. Cause marketing, right? It's got to be organic. It's got to be fair trade. It's got to have been endorsed by the right candidates. Mm-hmm. It must have, you know, um, that it's such an ostentatious lifestyle choice. That even if the food was better, you'd be like, nah, never mind. I'll just go down the road to Wegmans or uh, Safeway or uh, Trader Joe's. Uh, absolutely. And Trader Joe's is really closing in on Whole Foods for, you know, kind of the – they're like the, the second tier jackasses in the grocery world. <laughs> um, and I say this as someone who, you know, I, I have no problem running into any grocery store. Whatever one is closest to where I am when I need to go in someplace is usually what I do. Um, but also, I'm someone who likes to shop at international markets. Mm. So, you know, my experience with grocery shopping oh, is there's nothing slightly... hipster about that, Mickey. I'm sorry. Well, no, it's because I actually markets. cook those foods, Except though. And you know that food truck. And no, look, I don't have, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I've ever eaten off of a food truck. Now that I think about, it. probably I have at some point. But the reason I like international food markets is because I have been a foodie from way back. 
And now that we have the ability to get some of the ingredients that I used to have to like scour the earth for, <laughs> um, now I can just walk in and like grab it off the shelf. This is fantastic for me. And one of the, my favorite things is the, the international market near me. Um, that we like to go to and whatever. And I keep saying I'm going to periscope this. I need to go and actually do this. They have a live fishmonger. So there's live like swimming fish. And then they, they will actually take them out and fillet them. You pick out your fish and they fillet them and you know butcher them however you want. Man, my grocery store is second rate. Our fishmonger is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, and it's crazy. And they have like, they have live crabs and all of the live like shellfish that has to be kept alive instead of frozen. Mm. It's actually alive there. And so it's, it's, it's like a circus really at the, at the seafood tray. Mickey, I'm picturing that in the background as they bring out the crab and, you know, and, and kill it and serve it up for you. Somewhere in the background, the little mermaids under the sea, <laughs> under the sea. Is oh, funny. absolutely. I'm telling you, I got so the very first time we went there, I was so mesmerized. I stood and watched the fishmongers for a good 10 minutes while Mr. Bias was picking up all the seasonings and things that I wanted. While we were there, I just stood there and I couldn't stop because. People came in with their entire families like to do the grocery shopping, which you hardly ever see anymore. And and the kids are standing around, you know, looking at the fish as they're swimming in the tank and then they get yanked out and butchered, which is great. And then, you know, but they get to pick out their live lobsters and their live seashells. And again, all of the shellfish was still in water, as in really alive, which makes it the best you know, as far as cooking and using and whatever, that's the kind of shellfish that you want to have. And the seasonings and whatever that are available, they also have a little restaurant there where they will cook up whatever you've purchased. And I love it. But again, I'm a foodie. I'm not a hipster. So one of the problems <laughs> that I run into is that, you know, by going to a truly international market, the market that I go to, nobody speaks English. And it's out in a part of town that most of the hipsters don't even know exists, which is fantastic. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I go to this neighborhood that the hipsters haven't heard of yet. Yes, there's nothing hipsterish about that statement, Mickey. I, I, I'm not a hipster, though. I'm actually <laughs> cool someone who's interested in the food. I'm not just doing it because other people did. I found this place, and you know, it's, it's, I like. I've been going to these kind of again international markets for years. Jim, this is Yogi Berra. Food I like to cook all over again. Yogi, nobody goes there anymore. More. It's too crowded. <laughs> a year from now, Mickey will be saying, "Oh, you know, this. I like this market before it went mainstream." <laughs> now, I will tell you this: if those hipsters come and ruin my international market, the, out in like the little neighborhoods that I have found, I may actually have to cut a hipster. <laughs> You'll have to refer him to the. Uh, to you, you, a moment ago, you said uh, Trader Joe's was almost as bad, and I like to think of Trader Joe as being this like zealous, ludicrously overenthusiastic foodie. You've got to try this Italian. It's oh my god oh, yeah. it's so good you know they're like they're pushing it on you they're shoving it into your mouth as you attempt to get down the aisle is there a board of hipster conformity we can file complaints to for the wacky <laughs> <laughs> well and again i would re recommend to our listeners to check out south park as it teaches and um, this entire season jim garrity has missed apparently and i scolded him for it at christmas and uh and told him that he needed to get caught up. And the reason is because the entire town of South Park changed when Whole Foods came to town. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, well, um, I, I actually liked uh, South Park before everybody else did. But I'm not a <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. You're well, so now that we have jumped the, 
Yeah. Now that we have jumped the shark, we'll prepare to leap ahead in this year right after this. Any place, any time is a good time for Coke. Only Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola's bright and lively. Coca-Cola has more zest. Coca's a lot more zest living. Refreshing zest. Only Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Refreshing new feeling. Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Now, without further ado, because nobody likes that, it's back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I'm sure a lot of people think this is just some radio shtick. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And this is one of our rare quadrennial editions. It's one of those things. Every four years, we get certain things in our lives. A Summer Olympics played in some far-off city that's full of sewage and you know crime and other things that NBC ignores during the broadcast. <laughs> we get a presidential election, and our lives get turned upside down as we contemplate the fate of the country. And, of course, we get Leap Year Day, February 29th. Mickey, are you doing anything special for that day? <laughs> well, the one thing I plan to do is to look up the people that I remember from like elementary school and high school that were Leap Year babies. So I can wish them a happy, like, sixth birthday. (laughs) Ah, there you go. (laughs) And and that was one of the – I think that was probably one of my fondest memories is I had a friend growing up who was on the swim team with me. um, His name was Dave. And I'll just go that far. And he was a leap year baby. So I remember on his 16th birthday – we all like they threw him like a happy fourth birthday and it was all like a big joke and we had so much fun with it because he was a leap year baby and it's one of those things you don't really think about but it happens and i just wonder how many of them are out there Uh, you know probably about as much as there are in any other day of the year um i'm trying to think if we had any when i was growing up but i don't think we did and I, i suppose it's a little bit unusual you know uh, to me, it, it's strange that it, it, it seems rare to have a day that comes only once every four years. Yeah. And most people just kind of shrug at it. Oh, it's February 29th. Um, one of the few episodes of 30 Rock, the Tina Fey series I ever watched, was about Leap Year Day. And it was like almost this alternate reality in which Leap Year Day had this like major – it was like Christmas. It was like this unbelievably huge celebration in, uh, in, in that version of the world. <laughs> and it, seemed, it almost seemed to make sense that it would be about uh, it should miracles be a special day, this. right? Like you only get it once every four years. Well, I love it. It should be kind of magical at sorts. And, 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 and in a way, it is magical because it resets our clogs properly. Once a year, I get to sleep an extra hour because of the time change. Every four years, I get this whole 24-hour period that's extra. I just sleep through the whole thing. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> what will you be doing on leap year? You get an extra day every four years. So I guess I'll put that out to our listeners. Um, would love to hear back from you on that. What would you be doing on your leap year? Jim, we should do something special. We, we probably should like, contend that there should be some sort of – you know what you should do? All right, you ready? Uh-huh. So we have, it, we have a day of the year that like, appears and disappears uh, for four years, and you, you, nobody really thinks about it in the off years, right? Right, like at all. So, it, it should almost be like a day that doesn't happen, right? Like almost an alternate reality or something where like basically you can do everything. It's almost like Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever you do on February 29th 
doesn't get mentioned for the remaining four years after that. <laughs> it can only come back to haunt you the following time. Last, last uh, show, we talked about whether The Purge was underrated. <laughs> I was just the thinking the exact same thing, Jim. Like, somehow our shows seem to all come back to The Purge. Well, the idea that some sort of like giant uh, uh, consequence or something, or some sort of like we choose something to mark that day. <laughs> is is, is there a desire, Jim Garrity, between you, I, and, and and Dave, perhaps, to have a day without consequences? Because we seem to keep leaning that way. I think if Americans got a true day without consequences, there'd be nothing but sex. Everybody, everywhere, having sex with everybody and not talking about it the next day. I, you know, Dave, I agree. I don't, I don't think it would be like the purge at all. I don't no. think it would be people out killing each other. I think it would be people hooking up with each other. Hearts and flowers. <laughs> Dave, did you just describe like Mardi Gras? <laughs> <laughs> we really do need more carnival. <laughs> <laughs> time to wrap, kids. <laughs> oh, gosh. And once again, Dave, this time not sending me messages is going to tell me straight <laughs> out. We have come to the end of another show. It has been fantastic, and it goes so fast. Just try to keep up. I am Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you have been listening to The Jim and Mickey Show. You can find us here every week at SoundCloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Become a, a fan on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show or find us on Twitter using the hashtag TJAMS TJAMS the Jim and Mickey show and you can also find us there at at Jim and Mickey look forward to hearing from you and we'll be back next week oh my god you guys this has been the best day ever and it didn't cost us a dime the electric fence Make it